welcome to The Bazaar. My name is Alicia and this is The Bazaar. The name really says it all by now. This is the podcast about the weird, paranormal, phenomenons, unexplainable stuff, and sometimes even conspiracies. If you're looking for a podcast about literally anything else, you are in the wrong place, I'm afraid. But that's okay. Why don't you just stick around for a while and we'll have a little fun, tell some spooky stories around the campfire, and see what happens. Today, we will be covering the Velisca Axe Murders. Information for today's episode comes from Wikipedia, iowacoldcases.com, and the official Velisca Axe Murder House website. Please be advised that the bazaar deals with mature content, disturbing content, and sometimes even offensive content. Listener discretion is advised. Just as an additional warning, this episode does deal with violence against children and home invasion. So if you are particularly uncomfortable with any of these topics, this episode of The Bazaar might not be for you. But if you are okay in those areas, then definitely let's keep on trekking down this road, shall we? Let's meet the Moore family. The Moore family consisted of Josiah, Sarah, and their four children. Herman, who was 11, Mary, who was 10, Arthur, who was 7, and Paul, who was 5. Jesus, Sarah must have always felt like she was pregnant. (laughs) The Moors were an affluent family, of course, and were well-known and well-liked in their local community. The year is 1912. It had been a typical day in the Moore house. On June 10th, after school, Mary invited her two friends over to spend the night, Ina May and Lena Stillinger. That night, the two visiting girls and the Moore family attended church, as usual, where the children participated in the Children's Day program that Mom, Sarah, had coordinated. The church program finished at around 9.30 p.m., and the family, the Stillinger sisters, were last seen walking back to the Moore house, arriving somewhere between 9.45 and 10 p.m. As I said, this was the last time they were seen by anybody, and everything seemed completely normal. The next morning, a neighbor of the Moors noticed that the family didn't come out to do their morning chores. Sorry, that unintentionally rhymed, and apparently that was a thing. Which makes me worried that people wouldn't notice I died until a month later because I don't do any outdoor chores. They just think I was on a very large Netflix binge. Anyways, so their nosy neighbor knocked on the Moore's door. Nobody answered. So, they did the natural thing, with no boundaries. They tried to open the door. It was locked. That neighbor eventually let the Moore's chickens out in the back and called Ross Moore, Josiah's brother. Like this neighbor, Ross also received no response when he knocked on the door of his brother's house, which was completely out of the ordinary. With his copy of the house key, Ross unlocked the door. He probably came face to face with the biggest nightmare imaginable. The first bodies found were the Stillinger sisters on the first floor of the house in the guest bedroom. Ina and Lena had been slaughtered in their bed. Afraid of what he'd find next, Ross and the neighbor called the police. 
When the authorities arrived and searched the house, they found that the entire Moore family had been butchered to death. The murder weapon? Josiah's very own axe. What we do know for sure is that the murders took place between a window of midnight and five in the morning, which is actually quite a large window of time, but it's the best we've got. Two freshly put out cigarettes in the attic suggested that the murderer, or perhaps several, maybe there was two, waited in the attic for the family to come home from church that night. Based on the layout of the house and the placement of the bodies, the killer began in the master bedroom. Josiah and Sarah Moore were killed first. What's interesting, or creepy, is that Josiah received way more blows to the head than any other victim within the house. Josiah's face had been cut up so badly that his eyes were missing from his face. He had also been the only victim to have the blade of the axe used on him rather than the blunt end. To me, and the experts of this cold case, would believe that this suggests that the killer had some personal vendetta against Josiah, or against men perhaps, or father figures. Next to him, his wife was actually killed with the blunt part of the axe, which is a completely different way to harm a victim in comparison to how her husband died. The next victims were the children, Herman, Mary, Catherine, Arthur, and Paul. They were bludgeoned in the same way as their mother with the blunt side of the axe. After that, for some unknown reason, the murderer actually went back to the master bedroom to inflict more damage to Josiah in the master bedroom. Finally, the killer then went downstairs to the guest bedroom to kill the Stillinger sisters. All of the victims, except for Lena, had been fast asleep when they were killed. Based on the location of her body, Lena was actually awake and tried to fight back against her attacker. Her body was found across the bed with defensive wounds on her arms. Lena is the only victim to actually have defensive wounds. Her nightgown was pushed up to her waist, and she was wearing no undergarments, leading law enforcement to believe that she'd been molested that night. Now, there are a lot of web sleuths out there that doubt everybody could have been asleep when this happened, and didn't hear a thing from other rooms when people were being killed. But let me tell you, they could have been sound sleepers. I know I am. I can sleep through anything. Plus, it could have been maybe four, three, or in the morning. With the layout of that large house, the rooms were not directly close to each other, so they definitely could have not heard any sign of someone walking around. Now that we've gone over the specifics of the case, let's talk about the possible suspects. As you know, the Velisca Axe murders are still unsolved, but largely contested. There are four main suspects that I'd like to touch on, so let's put on those detective hats and get going. The first suspect is Andrew Sawyer. Before I go into his backstory, let me preface it with the fact that every stranger in town, regardless of innocence, was automatically deemed a suspect. But Sawyer is a bit of a wild card. He's a vagrant kind of guy. Nobody really knew anything about him until 6 a.m. of the same day the bodies were found. 
a local bridge foreman was approached by Sawyer, who was looking for work. The foreman later testified that later that evening, when the rest of the crew went off, Sawyer went to purchase a newspaper. According to this foreman, Sawyer was really interested in that newspaper. Do you want to know what the headline was? The headline of the newspaper that day, right in the middle of the front page, was the Velisca Axe Murders. If this isn't suspicious enough, Sawyer wanted to sleep with his full clothes on, shoes and everything, and was incredibly uncomfortable to be by himself. Here's the tip of the iceberg. Sawyer always slept with an axe next to him. While all of this is circumstantial and just maybe coincidental, one thing we do know for sure is that Sawyer was in Villisca at the time on Sunday night when the family was killed. Allegedly, he was scared of being taken as a suspect and left the area to go to Creston. Because of growing suspicion of the bridge construction crew, Sawyer was turned into authorities on June 18th of 1912. Ultimately, his arrest wouldn't last long. Sawyer was dismissed in the case when the police learned that he could prove he was actually in Oleska, Iowa on the night of the murders. Right? Tell me that's a head spinner. You know, unless he could teleport back and forth, it would be impossible for him to have murdered the family and be seen in Oleska, Iowa at the same time. You're frustrated. I know, so am I. I mean, shifty guy comes into town randomly the same time as a family getting murdered. It sounds pretty convenient, but sadly, it's all it's going to be is convenient. Reverend George Kelly is our second suspect. Kelly was a traveling minister in town on the night of the murders. He was described as peculiar, which I take offense to. I'm 100% peculiar, so I don't know if that's an accurate way to describe this guy. As an adult, Kelly was accused of peeping and asking young women and girls to pose nude. So, real bad. In June, he came to Villisca to teach at the Children's Day service, the same Children's Day service that the Moors actually attended. He left town between 5 and 5.30 in the morning, which is the same window that the family could have been murdered. It was hours before the bodies were discovered, but he could have easily committed those crimes. Later on, Reverend Kelly actually confessed to killing the family in court, but because he was a priest, the jury didn't believe him. In 1914, two years later, Kelly was actually arrested for sending explicit material through the mail. Yeah, he sent a picture of his genitalia through the mail. He was sent to St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the National Mental Hospital in Washington. In 1917, he was actually arrested for the axe murders. Police obtained a confession, but later, Kelly recanted that confession and was acquitted due to a lack of evidence and motive. You know, aside from the fact that he is a notorious creep. Another theory is that a serial killer killed the Moors. This serial killer goes by the name of William Mansfield. Two years after the Velisca crimes, Mansfield was actually arrested because he murdered his wife, baby, and parents-in-law with an axe. He is also a suspect for another axe murder in Kansas only four days before the Velisca axe murders. 
because Mansfield isn't busy enough, he is also suspected in the double homicide of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Illinois. Each of these crime sites was accessible by train, and all of the murders were carried out in virtually the same manner. Mansfield was released after a grand jury of Montgomery County refused to indict him on the grounds that his alibi checked out. Nine months before the murders at Villisca, a similar case of axe murdering occurred in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Two axe murder cases followed in Ellsworth, Kansas and Paloa, Kansas. All of these cases were similar enough to raise the possibility of having been committed by the same person. Other murders reported as possibly being linked to this criminal include the numerous unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912, the unsolved axemen of New Orleans killings, as well as several other murders during this time period, all accessible in a pretty little row down the railroad. As you can see, this suspect to me seems the most, I don't know, criminal, capable, I don't know what the right word is. Our fourth and final suspect is Henry Lee Moore, with no actual relation to the Moore family. Henry Lee Moore was also a suspected serial killer who was convicted of the murder of his mother and grandmother several months after the murders in Villisca. His weapon of choice was also conveniently an axe. Now, the similarity between these cases is absolutely uncanny. The same striking motions, the same damage to the bodies, this led to strong suspicion that Henry Lee Moore was actually responsible for several axe murders. Now, it's still contested up until this day which one is more guilty, Mansfield or Moore, but you know, I'd like to think they're equally just as sick. It's easy to say that all of these four suspects are equally awful people. You know, we have the odd vagrant, who conveniently liked to sleep with an axe, we have the priest who sexually assaulted young women, and we have two serial killers. Sounds like a pretty awful, disgusting group. While we can argue that some are more violent than others, it's probable that any of these people could have committed this crime. But, based on the information that's out there, the person's background, and the M.O., in my opinion, I think Mansfield is most likely to have committed these crimes. If we're looking at a map, and we're looking at the pinpointed locations of where his previous crimes were committed, and the crimes that he's suspect to have committed, they are all very close to each other and accessible via train lines. He killed in the exact same way across all of these crime scenes, violently slaying his victims with an axe. Not only that, but I find it incredibly suspicious that he was acquitted by a grand jury. Why? It's never really said why he was acquitted. Was it to stop the raise in suspicion that there was a serial killer lurking? Or maybe did he have friends in high places? Throughout all my research, I tried to find the exact reason why Mansfield was acquitted. But all that was said was because of a lack of evidence. To me, there's an astounding amount of evidence which is extremely frustrating to see someone get away with such violence. Now I'm going to turn it to you. Who do you think committed the Velisca axe murders? A vagrant? 
a reverend, or a couple of serial killers? <laughs> Let me know. I would love to hear your opinion. Sound off on any of our social media outlets. Thank you for swinging by today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate every single listener. I love doing this podcast and I would love to keep it going, but that means I need your help. Yes, you. Please grab a friend, gently, and show them this podcast. Share it with whoever you can. As always, subscribe, turn on those notifications, and give us a five-star review on wherever you listen to The Bazaar. Every rating counts. And that concludes this episode of The Bazaar. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look for the same logo that you see here. As always, peace out, nerds. <laughs>